Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. In Chinese astrology, the year 2021 was to be the year of the ox. The forecast was that for people born in the year of the ox, 2021 was to be a generally auspicious year. The hard work, calm, and patient nature of the ox would ensure a rich harvest and significant achievements, so long as the person did not get carried away by excessive stubbornness. But in Chinese reality, 2021 was the year of the crackdown. In Chinese society, we witnessed crackdowns on feminists, LGBT activists, women who did not want to have children, and even the concept of masculinity itself, which deserves an entire podcast of its own. But it was the multiple crackdowns on China's big tech companies which shook stock markets worldwide and slashed billions of dollars off the value of some of China's biggest companies. The hard work, the huge growth, and rich harvest of profits of China's big tech companies made them targets for a series of massive fines, regulatory changes, and in at least one case, accusations that they were dealing spiritual opium to Chinese teenagers. Welcome to the Inside China podcast, and welcome to our end-of-year crackdown special. My name is Sim Mei Shen. I'm a reporter on the tech desk here at the South China Morning Post. And along with my colleagues Zhao Xie and Jane Zhang, we're going to work through what happened in the past year. Let me just recap a couple of things before we get started. The crackdown on big tech actually started just over a year ago, in November 2020. That was when Beijing announced a proposal for new antitrust rules, which directly targeted China's big tech companies. In fact, you can scroll back through your podcast feed and listen to the special we put out in May this year, tracking the origins and the effects of that crackdown. One of those companies targeted was, of course, Alibaba. And just in case you didn't know, before we go any further, let me remind you that Alibaba is the parent company that owns the South China Morning Post. It also operates Alipay and Taobao, and you're going to hear their names mentioned a few times throughout this podcast. November 2020 saw the abrupt cancellation of the multi-billion dollar IPO of Ant Financial, an affiliate company of Alibaba. But that was just a taste of what was to come in 2021. There's more to this than a central government cracking down on companies seen to be getting too big and powerful, or indeed cracking down on billionaires seen to be getting too big for their boots. This year saw a fundamental change in regulations and laws for China's tech industry, which has been more or less making its own rules behind the great firewall that separates China's internet and online industry from the rest of the world. But at the same time, these changes have had a huge impact on the relationship between Chinese tech companies and Western investments and capital. So let me get my colleagues Jane and Josh here into the studio and work through what happened this year, what's happened since and what might happen next. This wasn't just a series of crackdowns on different companies and technologies. 
In 2021, we saw the various departments and ministries of Beijing's central government take action on four main areas concerning China's big tech companies. There were um, antitrust, data security, protecting children under 18, and smashing something called the walled gardens, otherwise known as allowing other companies to access the big tech monopolies platforms. But let's start with the idea of antitrust. So Jane, you have been covering this. The anti-monopoly law in China has been around for a long time, right? Uh, What happened this year? Yeah, actually, you're right. Like China's anti-monopoly law actually came effect in 2008. But in the past over a decade, the internet sector has barely touched by the law. Like we went through the record of the administration record on the official website on Chinese government. And the these industries touched in the past are all traditional industries like insurance, this kind of thing. So Alibaba case is really the start of the application of anti-monopoly law in the internet sector. Let's just unpack what exactly the Alibaba case was about. Alibaba is like the largest e-commerce platform in China. So they have been doing this monopolistic behaviors called picking one from two for a long time. This is uh, like unwritten rules in China's e-commerce industry for many years. But in 2020, the Chinese government thought this kind of behaviors is really harmful for the development of the industry. So they began to tackle problems like this. And on the Christmas Eve of 2020, the Chinese government launched an antitrust investigation into Alibaba. And that's the start of the investigation. Let's take a step back now. And uh, could you help us explain uh, what exactly picking one from two is? Yeah, picking one from two is actually a very common practice in China's e-commerce industry. It means that the online merchants are forced to choose only one exclusive distribution channel among all the e-commerce platforms. Otherwise, they will be punished by these big e-commerce companies, especially during big promotion events like the Singles Day. So the investigation was launched at the end of last year. Uh, What happened since then? Yeah, actually, the Alibaba case is really a landmark case, and the investigation took several months. So it's in this April that the Chinese government decided to fine Alibaba 2.8 billion U.S. dollars. That's really a huge number, Ximei. And that's the biggest antitrust fine in China's history. Yeah, that's correct. That's even three times larger than the antitrust fine for the foreign uh, chip company Qualcomm in 2015. When the fine was announced, were people shocked at the size of the fine? Or how were people reacting and what were people telling you? I think the biggest shock came at when the Chinese government launched the investigation. But the number is also important as this setting example of how Chinese government will handle these monopolistic behaviors of the Chinese tech companies. But there is also like the one to 10 scale, right? So like, you know, eventually uh, at the end, Alibaba got fined 4% of, you know, their annual revenue. So it's like a four out of the one to 10 scale. So that's the sort of how the industry felt about it, a bit reassured that it's not like up to like 8% or something. Right. So the fine is capped at 10% of the company's annual revenue, but Alibaba got 4%. So they hit Alibaba with a big stick, but not 
the biggest stick. Um, so what happened next with the regulators and the industry? The Chinese government don't want the Alibaba case to be a solo case. They want it has industry impact. So they actually hosted meetings uh, and gathered all these Chinese internet companies so that they can learn a lesson from the Alibaba case. So, Josh, what about Tencent, um, the other major internet company in China? So Alibaba sort of bore the brunt of you know the antitrust uh, wrath by Beijing right this year. But then Tencent, you know, Tencent's business sort of sprawls across you know all the different sectors across you know um, entertainment. So they didn't really get like get a huge fine like Alibaba or Meituan did. But instead, what happened? I can sort of break it down into two buckets. So the first one is the sort of the struggle with Tencent Musics. And the second one is, you know, SAMR's decision to halt a big merger that would have given birth to China's Twitch. So those are the two main cases that, you know, Tencent have been sort of put on the hot seat for. The first one is, you know, Tencent's Musics exclusivity deals, right? So SAMR uh, fined Tencent 78,000 US dollars and ordered companies to end its exclusivity deals with um, you know, some of the global record labels. Obviously, the fine itself is small, but what it signals is huge, right? Because that has been, you know, the business model for, for a lot of these platform companies. That kind of ties into what Jane just talked about, about picking one from two. Because at the time, it was really just a duopoly between Tencent and NetEase. And then they're sort of, you know, signing deals with all these you new know, artists. And now Beijing find this, you know, practice objectionable. So, you know, um, that sort of put an end to that. So on another front, Beijing also decided to halt the merger between Douyu and Huya. So two of the game-centric live streaming platforms that Tencent has control over. Had they merged, it would have become China's Twitch. This is very important because, you know, this is the first time Beijing has ever put an end to a, a merger over antitrust grounds for internet platforms. They have halted mergers before in other sectors, but this is the first internet platform case. So that really sent a strong signal across the entire industry. And then it's not just Alibaba and Tencent, right? There was also Meituan. Uh, Jane, could you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Meituan is China's largest on-demand service provider. And it's also in April that the Chinese government started an antitrust investigation into this company. And this investigation took even longer time than Alibaba. And it took over six months. And it's in October that the Chinese government fined Meituan. It's in October that the Chinese government fined Meituan. 530 million U.S. dollars. So this fine is not as big as the one for Alibaba, right? Yeah, so Meituan got fined 3% of the annual revenue. So, you know, 3% is you know, a little less than 4%, right? So that kind of showed the severity that they get fined was less. So that was the two big antitrust fines, but that's just part one. This leads me to the subject of data security. And I'm guessing a common perception in the U.S. is that there is no data security for people living in mainland China. But it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, not only have we seen consumers in China getting more and more protective about how companies use their data, uh, we're also seeing Beijing acting on where companies store the data of their customers. This 
touches on the idea of data sovereignty, um, something that's being talked about in the U.S. and what people in Europe know as the GDPR, uh, the General Data Protection Regulation. It affects overseas companies operating in China as well as how Chinese companies store their data overseas. So, Xinmei, you are our in-house data security expert, right? So, can you kind of walk us through what happened this year, as well as you know the high-profile case revolving Didi? Yeah, sure. So, I'll just recap the Didi case with some brief timeline. So, Didi went public in New York at the end of June. Can you please quickly explain what Didi is to our listeners? Okay, so the short version is that is China's biggest ride-hailing company. So, it's it could be an equivalent of Uber in China. A Brief timeline of the DD case would be so. In the end of June, it went public in New York. It was one of the biggest Chinese internet company listings in the U.S., but it was they kept in kind of an unusually low profile. And then two days later, the uh, Cyberspace Administration of China, uh, which oversees all things internet, the CAC, launched a cybersecurity review. Uh, into DD, and they ordered the app to be taken off from the app stores and to stop registering new users. So the understanding at the time is that uh, the CAC had asked DD to do a data security assessment before going public, but because it wasn't an institutionalized requirement yet at the time, uh, DD just decided maybe under pressure from investors, they they just decided to push through. Uh, and then a few days later, the CAC decided to. You know, make the rules formal. So they updated a regulation with a clause that says any company with a million users, before they go public in the foreign market, they need to first pass the CSE cybersecurity review. So the CSE basically just inserted itself into uh, Chinese companies' listing process, which really, really wasn't the, this internet regulator's territory before. Uh, and then it was a few months of quietness from both DD and the CSE, uh, during which. Didi's competitors have been going all out with deals and promotions to grab that market share, and then uh, Didi has d- also denied all kinds of rumors about what's going on, um, and those include management reshuffles uh, or taking the company private, or say uh, for the Beijing government to take a stake, etc. And then earlier this month, uh, Didi said on its social media account that it's starting to delist from uh, New York and. Uh, prepare for a Hong Kong IPO instead. So that offered some sort of conclusion. Uh, we still don't have an official announcement from the CAC yet. Xinmei, so let's recap a bit. Essentially, Didi's app was removed from the the app store. No new users get to register, and that is equivalent of Uber disappearing altogether in the U.S. Right. So on a consumer level, how are people feeling about this? For most of the DD's existing users, it doesn't really m- make much of a difference because they still have the app on their phone. Uh, for users who might have switched to a new phone, maybe they can't really get uh, the app from the app store anymore. So that might be an issue. Uh, but for the company and the industry, of course, of course, that's a big deal. You need to keep expanding your user base, right? But um, this means that they will no longer be able to do that. For this period of time, so that opened up opportunities for Didi's rivals. But whether the market share of these leading players actually changed—that's、um, still debatable. Then also, it's about、um, the CAC inserting itself into this listing process,、uh, which means they, all companies, if they think about going public outside China, 
they'll need to take this one extra compliance step. So at the crux of this issue is really about data security, right? Beijing is increasingly caring more and more about data security. There are new laws you know, being passed. Can you sort of was it, run us through a little bit about that? Yeah, data is absolutely at the heart of all of this. So there are now three national level data laws that uh, governs all of the issues around data, which is one is the cybersecurity law, which has been there since 2017. Uh, But there's um, a lot of key terms that it still haven't defined. And then there's the data security law and the personal information protection law that got passed this year. And there is the data security law and the personal information protection law, uh, which both got passed and came into force this year. So the data security law focused more on yeah, of course, the, the security part of it. And then the personal information protection law, which people refer to as PIPL sometimes, um, is more about uh, p- people's privacy. But zooming out a little based on all this blizzard of new rules um, that came out this year. So the couple of things that the government wants to do with data is, um, I think, number one is to use data as a factor of production. Um, and to use them to boost the digital economy. And that's why we're seeing uh, these emerging data trading centers um, that's popping up in uh, lo- uh, in Chinese cities everywhere, which are not really working, but that's another story. Uh, two is to punish bad privacy practices. Um, you know, you, you got to keep the consumers happy. Um, so there are these batches of apps that they're naming and shaming regularly and sometimes also removed from app stores. And then there is um, treating data security as uh, a matter of national security. So we're seeing all these new restrictions on uh, sensitive and important data leaving China's border, which is where the uh, the cybersecurity review on DD comes in. So they're, they're they want to make sure that, you know, nobody can snoop our sensitive data uh, in the process of uh, the company sending them out uh, outside of China. So and in Didi's case, the data they have, the potentially important data that Didi has uh, would be uh, location, users' location data, road usage, and um, the location of government institutions, I guess. Um, so, yeah, those are the major things that um, the government wants to do in terms of governing data at the moment. And also the thing is that a lot of these new rules are first not finalized yet. And second, there are um, a lot of ambiguities around how they will be enforced. So for example, for the cybersecurity review thing, at first the rules said it would be applied to IPOs in foreign markets. So people thought, uh, Hong Kong should be fine. But then a more recent set of rules made it clear that some Hong Kong IPOs would be reviewed too. That is if their listing affect national security, which nobody knows how exactly that will be judged. So yeah, the hope is that in the end, this will be just additional compliance steps uh, that people need to take. But at the moment, at least, it's creating big headaches for a lot of companies. This leads us to the walled gardens. Okay, so what are we talking about when we use this phrase, walled garden? If you own an iPhone, I can give you a great example. Ever since Apple launched its App Store in 2008, every new iPhone you buy comes preloaded with the Safari web browser, which is made by Apple, as well as the Apple email system. You can't swap them out. But Safari and email are very basic apps. They do just one thing. 
In China, we have something called the super apps like WeChat, where you can not only send messages, videos, and audio, but can also pay for pretty much anything you want to buy. You can make restaurant bookings. You can apply for a loan to buy a car. You can do everything. WeChat is what Mark Zuckerberg wishes Facebook and WhatsApp could do, and that is to be an entire ecosystem that the user, that's you and me, never has to leave. Which leads us to the events of this year, Jane. People in China have watched the battle play out between Tencent and Alibaba on the screens of their phones. What did the government do about this? Yeah, actually, this all started in July. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, or MIIT, brought up the opening of World Gardens as part of its six-month Internet Cleanup campaign. And World Beijing has targeted the internet practices of blocking and restricting access to the websites of competitors without legitimate reasons. And Jane, you've spoken to users about this. What does that look like in real life? Yeah, actually, I interviewed a lot of people, and also based my on my own experience, like in China, this kind of word gardens makes people's life really inconvenient. If you use、uh, Alibaba's Taobao marketplace to purchase products, you cannot use WeChat Pay to pay that items. And if you are using WeChat and you want to share items you bought on Taobao with your friends, that's also difficult. So, what happens when people try to share their Taobao items on WeChat? Yeah, they need to go through a very complicated process. They click the share button on Taobao, and then they got a random code of this item, and they copy and paste these random quotes and send these quotes to their friends on WeChat. And the friend should get after getting this code, they should copy and paste. The quote, and after they copy and paste the code, they went back to Taobao, and then the a page will will pop up with the items that their friends bought. So it's like super complicated. So how exactly did the Chinese government intervene? Yes.、Yeah, so actually, after the MIT launched the campaign in July, they also said in September that it's been giving the guidelines to internet companies how they should conduct self rectification measures to unblock this. External website links, and they will continue to push the companies to eventually、uh, achieve the interconnectivity. But now it's like it's still in progress. So Xinmei, what's interesting about this is that I think this is part of you know the government's drive to really trying to win the hearts and minds of consumers, right? You know, with regards to its you know crackdown on tech. Um, because you know, so much of what we discussed is really about you know、uh, Beijing trying to crack down on capitalism's excesses. So this is really on a personal level related to you know consumers' behaviors, right? So、um, yeah, I, I think a lot of the Chinese consumers are well aware of the fact that you know these tech giants are at war with one another. But then you know most of them sort of adopted this attitude of wait and see. It's just a matter of time before you know the government interfere and really sort of act on the behalf of you know the consumers, right? So this is where it really sort of become a goodwill campaign in some in, in in some in some capacity for the government. So since the government started interfering with this,、uh, what happened to the main game WeChat? What did Tencent do? So WeChat is really in the heart of all these problems, right? Because like Jane just talked about, in the past you couldn't really open. The Taobao app,、uh, you can really sort of link to the Taobao app, you know, inside WeChat. But then now, WeChat are slowly sort of you know breaking down these walls. They're allowing、uh, some external links, you know, in 
one-to-one chat situation, you can open these kind of external links to the Taobao app. But this whole process has been sort of like slow going, right? Because Tencent has to sort of undo a lot of these kind of filters and walls and all that. Um, it's been just progressing at a very slow pace. And over the past couple of months, they have been rolling out different measures and fixes and, you know, and tweaks to allow WeChat to open up more and more. And at times, you know, at one point, WeChat actually stopped taking new users, which, you know, sent Tencent shares plunging. But then, you know, that's a reflection of how Tencent's been trying to do things on the back end to allow more things to be connected to the WeChat ecosystem. So, Josh, we always talk about net, netizen reactions. So what are people on social media saying about all this? So throughout all these kind of crackdown news, uh, crackdown measures, every single time there is a, a new crackdown news broke, um, the netizen's reaction is always it's always kind of celebrating it, right? And then what's interesting to me is that there's one common phrase that's been repeated a lot, which is called 好,该是时候管管了, which means that, you know, it's about time this gets fixed, right? So, you know, whenever there's a new piece of news related to, you know, Chinese crackdown on on tech, there's always, you know, the that is always the number one Weibo comment, which, which kind of goes to show that the crackdown has some kind of public backing, but at the same time, it's hard to sort of tell how much of that is, you know, organized by, you know, um, the state propaganda machine, right? So this brings us to the chapter of this year's big tech crackdowns that made the most headlines around the world and maybe cost investors on Wall Street the most amount of money. Let's start with the crackdown of after-school tutoring in China. Jing, can you help us recap roughly how big this industry was in China? I think it's huge. There are hundreds of millions of teachers working from different organizations, and also there are public listed companies in the New York, in Hong Kong, and in mainland China. It's a market, I think, worth billions of dollars. This was really spurred on by the pandemic and the huge numbers of kids learning online from home. And which led to the growth of this sector, uh, edutech. What has been the effect of this? Yeah, Shimei, you're right. Uh, in the past two years, the China's tech education companies are having a roller coaster year. Like during the pandemic, uh, the industry is booming because uh, uh, because of the online learning and the trend of moving offline to online. And then in July, the Chinese government carried out a major crackdown on the off-campus tutoring uh, industry, and that affected uh, both the public-listed companies and also these promising startups in mainland China. Could you also help explain what exactly is this crackdown on uh, private tutoring? According to the rules, these companies will no longer be allowed to raise capitals from initial public offerings. And listed companies and overseas investors, apart from investing or acquiring stacks in tech education companies that teach school curriculums according to the rules. All these companies are asked to register as non-profit organizations. Well, I can't think of a word that would upset Wall Street more than non-profit. Um, so do you remember what's the uh, investors' reactions back then? 
Yeah, that actually uh, right after the rules came out, like the stock market showed the reaction. Like uh, like the New Orientals and Gaotu Education, they are listed in the New York Stock Exchange. Their shares plunged in a single day. Billions of valuation were wiped out. So that was July. What has been happening since then? Actually, this kind of industry crackdown is not only impacting the capital market, and it affects the lives of hundreds and thousands of teachers working in this industry. I've interviewed a lot of teachers uh, teaching at these institutions. Many of the institutions are cutting jobs, and a lot of them are losing jobs. And this is also suffering for the students and their parents as well, because and now they need to find like a one-to-one tutors, and which is more expensive, and even add the financial burdens for the for their parents. And there is also this underground market for private tutors. So kids can't go to after-school tutoring anymore.、Um, surely this frees up more time for them to play games,、uh, doesn't it, Josh? Well, Shima, you gotta remember we're talking about China, and there's bad news for the kid gamers in China these days. It started with Beijing labeling video games as spiritual opium in August, and quickly following with that description. Beijing moved to ban children from playing games for more than three hours a week, and they're only allowed to play on. Weekends only. So this restriction is just historic, right? You know, unheard of anywhere else. So what's happening to the gaming sector really mimics what happens to the private tutoring sector in many ways, right? Because gaming too, thanks to、uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, had a historic year, and these gaming companies are making out like bandits. But then you know the outsized profit also came in came under massive scrutiny. And regulators are aware that they are taking up a lot of these kids' time. So let's rewind that a little bit back to March when President Xi Jinping met with some of the lawmakers in in, in China, and he expressed that video games addiction is a problem, is a concern. At the time, few people took notice, but we reported on it. And then soon after, in August, this whole this whole crackdown just came in full force, right? And we're still feeling that impact to this day because. Starting from July twenty second, Beijing has stopped issuing new licenses for games. So we haven't seen any new games being officially approved by、um, the regulators. So this may very well continue to haunt the video games industry for years to come. So Josh, I guess this means that kids are not getting new video games around the time of Christmas. Yeah, I think the industry is you know quite devastated by this. Kids are devastated by this. Maybe was it you know come New Year's time we'll have something you know Chinese New Year, as we speak right now there is a big conference happening in Guangzhou between the regulators and the game developers and we'll see what happens from there. Hopefully some good news will come out. So Josh, it's one thing for Beijing to be able to wipe off billions off of Chinese tech companies' stocks, but can they really stop kids from playing video games? Well, I tell you. I put my money on them kids, you know, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. But all jokes aside, I can tell you something that I heard, right? You know, these kids are really sort of borrowing or like you know buying adult accounts.、Um, accounts are tied to their parents' IDs or like you know some random adults off of the internet, and then、um, really bypass and circumvent all these restrictions. So、uh, a lot of the kids are still playing these games like you know they used to,、um, even though there are like a few more hurdles to overcome. And I think that you know, come Chinese New Year's time, we'll continue to see that you know, kids will spend a lot of time on their phone. So, Jane, Josh, 
your forecast for the next year? What are you hearing from people about what's going to happen next? Yeah, I think not just gaming. You know, but the broader tech sectors are now expecting that you know regulation is just going to be part of the new reality. The China market is too big to ignore in any sort of way. Um, so companies as well as investors are making adjustments and trying to adapt to this whole uh, new norm. I think there will still be a lot of interesting stories going on there as the regulation of China's tech sector just. To Uh, came into shape in the past year, and I think a lot of happening in the coming years. I know you're busy with our end of year stories.、Um, we'll see you on scmp.com. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week, and that's all for this year for Inside China. Thanks so much for listening and following us. And if you haven't listened to them already, also just a reminder that we've done two great episodes on China's antitrust crackdown and China's gaming crackdown. So make sure you scroll back on our feed and listen to them if you want to catch up on things. On behalf of the tech desk here at the South China Morning Post, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next year. My name is Simei Shen. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news: ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free, or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.